He was king for almost eight months already. He became so when his mother, Queen Elizabeth, died in September of last year. But Charles' formal crowning, his public coronation, didn't take place till just two weeks ago. Some of you, likely, were part of the 10 million Americans and the 400 million people around the world who watched the ceremonies as King Charles took his modest two-step ascent to the coronation chair, a 726-year-old throne. And then he had a 360-year-old crown placed upon his head. The two-hour ceremony was amazing. A church service in Westminster Abbey, amazing music, beautiful, instrumentalists and soloists and, and choirs and trumpet fanfare. An impressive display that day with 4,000 armed forces personnel. 19 different bands played, 2,000 invited guests, thousands and thousands of people lining the streets hoping to just get a glimpse of the king. Loud and enthusiastic shouts of long live the king and hip hip hooray rang out. It, it was all truly stunning. And yet, all for a mere man, an earthly ruler, out of all the nations in the world, ruler only of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth realms. And when King Charles III dies, his reign will end. His rule is limited in duration and scope and power. We've assembled here this morning to celebrate a very different king, a very different kind of king. We're here to remember, to celebrate particularly the ascension of Jesus to his eternal throne in heaven. He was also king long before his visible ascent to his throne. That scene was very different from the scene I saw for King Charles. Instead of royalty and dignitaries and celebrities and millions and millions of people watching, there were 11 regular men. They made no preparations. They didn't even know something special was happening that day. They needed two camouflaged angels to explain things to them. As we hear the details of Jesus' ascension to his heavenly throne, it might not seem impressive compared to the coronation that the world just witnessed. But that's not even remotely true. It was much, much more impressive. As he ascended bodily into heaven, the disciples were so impressed they just stood there staring into the sky. But what otherwise didn't look like so much really was much more impressive because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished and, and the promise given to those men as they stood there, stood there staring into the sky. As God's people today, we recall our king's ascension and we find the blessings of comfort and confidence 
and hope because the living Christ rules. The Apostle Paul knew many of the people in the congregation at Ephesus because he had served as their pastor for two or three years. At this point, it had now been a few years since he had been there, but word of their continued faith had had come to him. And so, he says he constantly thanked God for them. He continually praised or prayed for them. He wanted them to have a more well-rounded faith, an even stronger, a more insightful faith in Christ that would enrich their lives and their hope in God's power and salvation. Maybe you remember uh, that Paul wrote this to them a little later in his letter. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul wanted Jesus to be firmly ensconced in the throne of their heart, ruling there with his incredible, unmeasurable love. There's only one way for that to happen, and it hasn't changed since Paul's friends lived in Ephesus. Just like there's only one road up to Mount Lemmon from down here in Tucson, there's only one path to the pinnacle of wisdom and understanding of Christ, and that's by the Holy Spirit working in hearts through the gospel. To know Christ fully, to be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God, that's what Paul wanted for God's people. We must want that too, don't we? And what a wonderful thing to, to chase after, to understand better and better our living Savior who ascended into heaven and still rules in our hearts. Erwin Habeck is a, was a former professor at our seminary. He taught many future pastors this letter to the Ephesians, and he wrote this about the word I write uh, before us today. We have, by the grace of God, come a long way from the state of the fool who says there is no God. But we still have a long way to go before we reach the consummation in glory. Yes, there is much to learn, much to appreciate our Savior this side of heaven. But it isn't simply learning the facts as if we're trying to pass some God test. Paul wanted the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. So it isn't just with the intellect, but also the feelings and the will of a person's heart that's involved with faith. Paul wanted them to experience more, to, to feel more the love of God in Christ, and have the joy that comes from the Spirit enlightening a person's heart. That they should always hold in their hearts as they waited for their Savior to return. We want this too. This is why we search the Scriptures at home. This is why we come here, at least on Sundays. Many of us want the eyes of our hearts enlightened even more. We're compelled then to come to a a Bible class and take our seat there, Maybe, maybe more than one during the week. Blessings to be had there, uh, blessings that we experience as we find Christ's love. 
and we see his rule in our hearts. And we're gifted with joy and comfort and confidence and hope. It's the power of God working through his word that does this. How great is that power? The answer is to be found in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Paul explains, That power is as great as the working of his mighty strength, which God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The power to raise a dead Jesus. The power to lift his son from earth to his throne in heaven. That's the power, the same power that has overcome in us our sinful resistance to God and given us saving faith in him. That's the same power that enlightens the heart, that, that brings it to know and appreciate their Savior better and better. This is amazing. God used on us the same power that he used with his son. That's how you came from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's also how you will ascend to heaven. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to describe the victorious and ascended Jesus at the right hand of God, above every kind of power and ruler and authority, with everything under his feet. And we might say, well, of course that would be the case. He's true God. But it's more than that. He descended into this world to do battle with sin for sinners. To defeat sin. To save them from the eternal death, the separation from God that sin earns and the devil prompts. He won that battle. He won that battle with, with cross and empty tomb. And so, when he ascended, it was a return as the victorious king. Although Charles was king already, he wasn't allowed to publicly wear a crown until his coronation day. While he wore kingly robes and sat on his throne and, and held two scepters in his hands. Although Jesus was a king already, he did not publicly wear a crown until Good Friday. But that crown was mockery. It was not a beautiful one gently placed on his head with serene ceremony. It was a crowd made of thorns, jammed into his scalp. A robe was draped over his shoulders, a crude scepter placed in his hand. Hail, King of the Jews, was only sarcastic. Six similarities to a kingly coronation. Twisted ceremony. What the people saw on Good Friday was awful, but what they couldn't see was even worse. The pressure of the world's sin pushing down on Jesus, 
his father turning away, perfection, dying. This was a king who gave more for his people than any king ever could. No other king could sacrifice himself and have it make an eternal difference for the people. And what a difference Easter made. The king who was dead was now alive. Many people saw the living Christ and and witnessed the battle wounds in his hands and in his side. And among the people that, that saw that were the 11 who were standing there watching as their living and victorious king was raised from earth to heaven. What they could not see, what you and I can't see, is our Savior seated on his eternal divine throne or the crowns that he wears on his head or the thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing honor and praise and glory and might to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But we will see him there. That's the point of it all. He came to win the victory for us, to bring us into his eternal kingdom of love and peace. He's done everything for that to happen. And it will happen. Jesus told his disciples to look up when they saw the the signs of the end beginning to happen. The ascension angels told the disciples to, to look and expect to see Jesus return from the sky. It's good for you and me, God's people today, to pay attention to what's going on in the world around us and to anticipate the return of our Lord. Until he returns, we have the ascension assurance that Jesus exercises his might and his power every second of every day in the interest of his people. The saints of God here are pictured as the body with Christ as the head. The head rules over the body, cares for the body, feeds it with his word, protects it, from the harm that the sinful world and the devil seek to inflict upon it. There are times when you and your pastors especially need this comfort. We're concerned about the church of God. We're concerned about the church of God when we hear the cultural ideologies that are in direct conflict with the will of God. We're concerned about the church of God when people we know turn their back on God and simply walk away. When we hear about the persecution of Christians all around the world, we are concerned about the church of God. This promise that Christ rules for his church is given for moments like these, for people like us. As is this promise given by Jesus about his church, the gates of hell will not overpower it. Our ascended king pardons us for our sins of doubt and worry when instead of looking toward him and 
trusting in his promises. We're concerned about the sinlessness or the sinfulness that we see in the world, the, the godless world in front of us, the, the work of the devil on earth as his forgiven children. We listen to him again and again to find the strength to look to him to fight those temptations when that all-surpassing power of God is working on us day by day, enlightening us, we can stress less and we can trust more. We know the fact that Christ ascended into heaven, that he's ruling for the good of his people, but it's not only with our minds that we see how things really are and how things are going to end. It's also with our hearts. It's with the eyes of our hearts that are enlightened that we have this love for our Savior that has this strong desire to be with him, that trusts in his promises. Offer prayers of thanksgiving today for the ascension blessings of comfort and confidence and hope as Christ rules over your heart and as he rules for his church until the day he returns. Amen. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.